Welcome to Black Women Voices. We are here for another episode. This is your girl, Dr. K. And Edwards here. Valerie J. Thompson here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to episode six of Black Women's Voices. Today, we are joined by Dr. Bernice Edgehill Walden, Chief Diversity Officer and Senior Associate Vice President for Academic Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Northern Illinois University, where she is responsible for leading university departments and programs that are committed to building an inclusive community, cultivating equity, and promoting education awareness and action. She is a graduate of Bucknell University, the University of Delaware, and Howard University. Dr. Edgehill Walden's areas of research include race and gender equity, black women's career mobility, specifically in higher education, black women's contributions to black liberation movements, and academic achievement gaps for college students of color. On today's episode, we'll be talking about networking and self-care, so we hope that you enjoy our conversation. So welcome back to Black Women Voices. This is episode six, and I'm so excited about this episode because we get to talk about Black women as it relates to networking and self-care, and we have a very special guest, Dr. Walden. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am well. I'm well. So I'm really, really excited about the conversation that we're going to have, and I know that you're going to pour into us um, and give us the um the right kind of medicine to get us through this thing in higher ed is black women yes i look forward to it yes so let's you know kind of talk about networking and so my first question would be in what ways do you believe networking is different from black women in higher ed versus their counterparts as in other women of color or white women Sure. So, you know, first I'll just say that networking is absolutely important. Um, and sometimes we don't see it as important or as available to us uh, because of the structural or uh, workplace racism and or sexism that happens in our, in our workplaces. And so sometimes I think we expect it to come from one place. Um, when and and we don't really think about other places that it can come from and so I, that is what i think first is is different about black women networking as opposed to our counterparts um, i think it's really um, difficult sometimes to deal with uh, the racism and sexism in our, our workplaces and then expect those same people to be our mentors or to help us with uh, establishing a network right. so we have to look um, outside of that experience if that is the, the reality for you you have to look outside of that experience um, unfortunately um, I've also been in situations where uh, I was I, I was reporting to people that look like me and both women and um, black women and they were in these instances and in not all cases were not very supportive of me. And so I, even in that situation, I had to look outside to really build that network um, that I needed. So my, what I think is different is that really you have to go outside of where you 
are thinking it should come from to look at the social organizations that that we're a part of um the family organizations that we're a part of the church experiences that we're a part of and then sometimes you have to go places that you don't think you are even represented but still push yourself to go because you'll never know who you will meet there right so i have a follow-up question to this is ann i have a follow-up question to that um so in case in in regards to working with people that you know you don't feel like support you the millennial in me is like well i'm about to just quit and go get a whole different job and so how, how do you you know stay and how do you stay put and then how do you know when it's time not to stay put in that type of environment great question um i i i was in a i was a director of a, a cultural center um in my in my early part of my career and that that's a whole nother podcast about being a cultural center director but um <laughs> you continue to give and give and give and you don't really get what you need back. And so there were times when I felt like I needed to leave, but every time I felt like that, I met somebody that helped me to continue on. And so I think you have to look, as I said, look beyond the current circumstance to see who else perhaps in that institution or even outside of that institution that can help you um, give to, to give you the tips and the advice and the coaching and the mentoring that you need because it may not come from exactly where that where the, where you are expecting it to come from, and sometimes, quite frankly, you need to pray through it. Yes, and and you know if you have a a, a, a spiritual you know if you believe in a, a higher calling and a higher God, then some of those things you you have to pray through because I am a firm believer that some of these things you are to learn from and to grow from. And you can't go to the next position and go higher if you haven't learned what you're supposed to learn in that first position. Right. That's so, so true. So then would you say, this is Valerie. So then mm -hmm. would you say, so, so when do you know that it's too toxic that the position that, that you can no longer thrive, that you can no longer essentially live within a position that that could be that way because sometimes i mean true we do know that we can learn from toxic situations but how do we know how, how do we i guess i guess pull the parachute button before it gets too toxic that it yeah. affects our health our mental and our spiritual and our, and our physical well-being so been there done that um i knew it was toxic for me when i would wake up every morning and say is it friday yet Mm. And yeah, I just knew I needed to find a way out, and I did. But it took a while. It it wasn't like I woke up today. Is it Friday yet? It, no, it's only Monday. Okay, I'm gonna be gone next Monday. I had to put a plan in place so that when I'm ready to pull that parachute, the parachute's really gonna save me <laughs> because you can't just do a knee jerk reaction to it. Because we're talking about your career, your profession, your passion. You want to be strategic about when you do that. And in the process of doing that, know what you're, what you're supposed to learn. So when you're able to pull that parachute, mm -hmm. you're gone. And that's what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. 
Uh, you know, something uh, what Ann said earlier in terms of millennials, you know, something happened, you don't have the networking, the support, you're ready to go. And even more so, especially when you're talking about the younger generation and they get into a position, they don't like it, they out. And so now their resume looks like they can't keep a job. Uh, but in reality, it may be that they're not getting the support that they need. They're not networking properly, whatever the case may be. And so kind of a follow-up, another follow-up, <laughs> is so I, I, I'm really big on intersectionality. And you mentioned um, praying, religion, spirituality. And so and how do you think all of those identities that make us who we are as black women, though they may be very different from woman to woman, really play a role in how we do network? Uh, well, you know, I think that for me, I think that that kind of broadens your ability to network. Um, I, I was in a situation where um, I wasn't getting what I needed from the, the, my supervisor at the time. And uh, the one woman that really helped me and really saw my potential and basically said, hold on, I got something that's going to be better for you was a white woman wow. um, who really, I mean, she taught me budgeting. She put, took me to, to committees and, and she put me in places that I, I wouldn't have gone to if I, if I had just said, I'm, I'm done. I, I had an opportunity to talk to her and, you know, she, she saw some potential in me and she was like, Hey, let's go to lunch. We went to lunch and that it, it changed everything for me. So, you know, I can't look for it. Like I said, always in another black woman or I, I might, it, it may even be a man, you know, someone that's going to, that sees your potential. Another opportunity I had uh, when I first moved to um, Chicago um, I was just out of um, getting my doctorate degree from Howard and came to Chicago. I was getting married and needed a job. Uh, and as my husband's from Chicago and I interviewed at one of the community colleges, had never worked in a community college before. And I, I, it was for an institutional researcher job, had never done institutional research, but I had gotten a doctorate degree in, in sociology, so I knew stats, I knew research, and but my all of my other work was always in um, student affairs, student development, Black Cultural Center work, and um, the woman that interviewed me, Latina woman, was the president. She said, you know what? I, I ran a trio program. I ran a Latino resource center. I know that they pigeonholed you and I know you're worth more. I'm giving you this job. Wow. Yes. Mm. That's the one thing that was favor. And that was one, that was the one, you know, because that's how I was feeling. Like everybody's going to tell me what I can do. Right. I know what I can do, but I need other people to see that. Yeah. Wow. That's a good point. So, so Dr. Walden, can you talk about some effective strategies for networking as a black woman in higher education? Sure. I think one of them we just talked about is like really never judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. Number one, mm -hmm. you yeah. should always look for opportunities um, to, to network and talk to people. Uh, that are sometimes out of your comfort zone because you never know what you're going to learn from from that. 
I also think that we have to be um, in a position where we're ready and uh, dressing for success. And I'm not talking about designer everything. I'm, I'm saying you, you don't want to go places where you look like you didn't plan on seeing anybody today. And I want to a lot of days, but I know that I can't because you never know who you're going to run into and you never know who's, who you're going to see that's going to be that next blessing for you. Um, and then I would also say is like, not only look at your current network, but look at the networks that they have, that the, mm-hmm. that your network has. Yeah. Um, I am part of Jack and Jill um, of America and a part of the Chicago chapter. Too. Really? Yeah, as a kid, and, growing up. Well, and I'm a mom. I, I wasn't as a child, but my son is in it. And the network that is in that particular organization is not higher ed, but the network and the circle of people that are in that net in that particular organization uh, are phenomenal. And that is another network. So don't just look in higher ed. That would be my other my other tip, is not to just look in higher ed. Um, I also think that you should not be afraid to ask people to have coffee or have have a lunch. I'll just tell you a quick story about that. I was working in D.C. at this pre-K through 12th grade school. I decided to take a summer course in multicultural um, education. And the faculty member that was teaching the summer course uh, was a black woman, vice president of student affairs, that taught the multicultural education course. And this was a time where I felt like I really wanted to go back into higher ed. So after class, I said, can, can we have lunch? Because I really want to go back. I, wanna, I really want to think through my next career move. And she said, sure. So we went to lunch and I explained to her where I was professionally and what I wanted to do and that I missed higher ed, but I know I needed a doctorate degree. And she said, you need to quit your job and go back to school. What? Excuse me? She said, you will never, you will, you will never finish the doctorate degree if you're working full time. You don't have kids, which was true. You don't have a a partner, a spouse, a boyfriend, nothing. You don't have any of that. Um, So um, all you have is like your mortgage and a car note. You work to pay off your bills and go back to school full time. I went back when I was 37. At the time, I was 39. And you get the degree. Focus on that. And I left that restaurant and it transformed my life. Now, prior to this, I had put my house up for sale in Delaware and was moving to D.C., was going to buy a house in D.C., got ready to put a security deposit down. But I needed to sell my house in D.C., but I was not getting anybody, no showers, no nothing. Nobody was coming. The minute I made up my mind that I was going to go back to school because this woman, like I had like a light bulb went off in my head during that lunch. the next day, the realtor called me and said, I have someone that wants to see your house. And that man bought my house. Wow. Come on. Wow. Yes. In a line. And so that's right. also about timing. 
right? So part of networking is about timing and strategy and not being afraid to go to lunch with somebody that you don't know from a can of paint. Right. Well, I didn't know this woman from a can of paint. Well, and that makes me wonder too, because I mean, kind of going back in something that you said and not thinking that we only have to find mentorship or similarity with folks who maybe operate similarly, whether they are black women or, or people of color. So then how do you know that someone is, for the lack of a better analogy, maybe worthy of being a mentor towards you? And what Ooh. should be like, because we, you know, thinking about we have a variety of people who are listening to the podcast, whether they are new professionals or seasoned. And I think about maybe as I was a new professional, I wouldn't know. Like, I think I'm green thinking, oh, well, they're black. Maybe they're, they're going to be great. And as we, you know, kind of, you know, proceed further, not everybody who is your skin folk is a kinfo. So mm-hmm. how do we know that these people who are saying, hey, let me mentor you. Let me take you under my wing can be great people that we should that we should emulate or even include in our circle of support so i think that um we so first i think what happens and i get this a lot a lot of people ask me can i be your mentor can i be can can you be my mentor um and the reality is is like i'm one person and i can't be a mentor to everybody right but i can coach you through something so mm-hmm. I don't even think, th- I haven't seen this woman since that conversation. Wow. Hmm. I, I have not seen her. I have sent her an email thanking her for changing my life. <laughs> but I have not seen her since we left that restaurant. And so I think some of it is you have to realize that some people are not always going to necessarily be your mentor. Some people may be your sponsor and not your mentor. Someone might just be your coach. And in that time, in that time, when I look back on it, she was like, she coached me. And then I didn't see her again. (laughs) And I think that that's different than a mentor. And we have to figure out, you know, like not everybody is going to do the same thing and be the same thing to you and for you. Mm, That's a word. Oh, my God. (laughs) I felt that one. (laughs) <laughs> I and and, I, and the reason why I feel that is because, <clears throat> especially when you, um, when, when as a black woman you really want to be there for for the black students, right? And you have one or two to say, "Will you be my mentor?" And you say, "Okay, great, whatever." And then those one or two go tell their friends, and all of a sudden you got an office full of students that now uh-huh. <laughs> you have to mentor. And it's like, how do I say no? Uh, without um, them feeling some type of way. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you still want to be there for them, but they put so much in a title is, is what, yes. I, what I think it is. Um, and like you said, you know, some people are mentors, some are coaches, and some would be what we call sponsors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think for that, I mean, I get, I get a lot of people, you know, wanting to faculty, not just faculty, well, I just today, a faculty member was like, I need to talk to you about my life, a tenured faculty member. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so um, but I think for students, they do get caught up in the title. And, 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 you know, I think about myself, if I knew that I saw somebody that looked like me with my title and had a terminal degree and, and, and thought about like, this is where I want to be. I, I would probably want to hold on to their coattails for their life. And, and so what I try to do is I try to have, it's hard, 
uh, Ann knows this, but um, I, it's hard for me to spend a lot of time with everybody, but I might have a scheduled meeting with you to coach you through something. We might go to lunch. We might do a lunch where I meet with a lot of different um, students at one time. Um, but to say that I'm going to be a mentor to uh, 50 students is impossible um, because you do have to care for yourself. You know, you, you, I have a seven-year-old son um, who's looking for me and knows my cell phone number. Like, where are you? You're not here. I can't do all of that that I used to do when I was single and didn't have, you know, responsibilities at home. I, I can't do that now. So you have to kind of balance all of that and also take care of yourself. So just to, so I, and I think it's because of what people think mentorship is in their minds and what it actually is. And so when we, when you are somebody's mentor, can you talk about what does that mean when you are actually mentoring them? Um, I know I'm out of line, y'all, but it just flowed like this. So, yeah, talk about what it is to, to mentor somebody because I don't know if people know the energy and effort that actually exists in a mentoring relationship versus a, mm -hmm. versus a coaching or, or a sponsorship type of thing. Right. So for me, a, a, uh, a mentor really is a relationship that is built uh, between uh, a mentor and a mentee. And someone that, you know, you can go to, to talk about whether, you know, something professional or personal um, or both. Um, and it's ongoing. So it's not one time. It's not, um, you know, it's, it's like your go-to person um, when you're looking at career choices and uh, doctoral degrees and research. And it's your sounding board. It's, really someone that's going to also expose you to experiences that you might not have had before, but it's on an ongoing basis. And I think that that's the difference between coaching. Coaching will kind of lead you in some ways and, hey, think about this. What Have you ever thought about that? But it doesn't have to be an ongoing relationship. And then a sponsor, which a, a mentor and a coach could be a sponsor. Um, and I, I have a really great uh, mentor sponsor now. Uh, uh, a sponsor is someone that is going to, um, when you're not there, speak on your behalf it, to, to move you to that next level, to to give you, to give other people the opportunity to know who you are and to, to give you that opportunity to, to do something in your professional career that you might not have done. And, and, and you don't necessarily even have to be in, that, in the room to do it. Okay. I mean, that, that makes sense because I know so often we, you know, we talk about mentorship and, and sometimes sponsorship, but I, that really makes sense in kind of the ways that, that you kind of broke that down, especially thinking about when you're not in the room, what happens? Because oftentimes, you know, our, our sponsors will get into spaces where we haven't been, we haven't, we haven't climbed those ranks yet. So 
even in, in, in you and in, in thinking about that mentorship relationship, you were talking about the idea of relationships. So what should be the expectation kind of from the mentee's perspective? So what should be the expectation after the networking process and how can an authentic relationship be forged within that? So I think it has to be two ways. I don't think that uh, the mentee could say, I asked her to be my mentor or him to be my mentor. And so that's it. She's my mentor. Um, right. I think there has to be some discussion about expectations. You know, yeah. what, what does that mentor relationship look like? You know, it's like any other relationship. You might have these unrealistic expectations of your spouse or partner. And the partner's like, I never agreed to that. Uh, exactly. you, know, because you, you didn't communicate that so part of that is communicating mm -hmm. what it is that you need mm -hmm. because as a mentor I might say that I think you need this and or might think you don't need something that you really need um, I find especially with students that you know you start down the path of of guiding them and and everything and they start talking to you about stuff that you're like wait a minute now i'm not a counselor i'm your mentor <laughs> there are things i cannot do um and so i think i think you have to to know what the expect you have to be realistic about those expectations and also realistic about what it is that you need in that relationship um Am I going as a mentor? Do I actually have time to to call someone every week and check in? No, and I need the the mentee to understand that, right? Um, don't expect me to um, physically be available to to have lunch with you once a week. Now, if you text me and you say SOS, I need help. I'll find the time to to talk with you, but it's not going to be. That's, I'm just giving you an example of, I mean, other people might have that kind of time, but right. I think you have to really kind of figure out what those expectations are on both sides, communicate those things, and then come to an agreement on what it is that will, will happen in this relationship in a specific time period. Mm. Yeah. So it's kind of like creating boundaries. Yes. Um, and you talked a little bit, you know, because you was like, some of them come with you, come to information that it's like, I'm not a counselor. And then it kind of taps into, you know, that whole concept of black women being everything um, to everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, I will just say, and I, I say that because I have a very strong network of sister friends. I mean, ride or die, sister friends. <laughs> and we will talk to each other about any and everything. And at the end of the day, we'll pray for you and we'll say, you need to go see a counselor. <laughs> yeah, just like that. <laughs> There's certain things I can't do no more. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> Ride or die. But you got to be able to hear that. Yeah. Wow. And you also have to be open to the feedback, too. Yeah. You know, kind of like you said, it's a two-way street. Um, I believe mentorship is 360. I, I learn from mentees just as much as they would learn from me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I always, always. 
am learning things all the time. I'm never at a point where I'm feeling like I know so much, I don't need anything. No, that is not the case at all. But you know, we do have some some black women that feel that way. <laughs> you know, like they have gotten to a place where they don't need to mentor people or they don't have much to offer on the flip side of that. And then you look at whatever experiences that black women have had with one another, um, per se, may be a, a hindering hindrance for them to approach another black woman in higher ed to mm-hmm. mentorship, mm-hmm. coaching, sponsorship, whatever, whatever it is. So I think, I mean, that's true. I mean, if I, if I based whether I needed a mentor um, on my relationship, or I would say my supervisory experience that I had with one of my supervisors, I, I, it, I don't think I would be interested in talking to anybody. That's how traumatic it was. <laughs> but um, what continues to remind me that um, is two things. One is um, you, you have to have a circle of people that tell you you're not crazy, but also give you some really great feedback, right? right? That's good. And, and so, yes, the, the, my supervisor was, um, was much, um, but uh, I had a group of people around me that were supportive and reminded me of who I am and whose I am and uh, my purpose and my passion and, and what I'm called to do. Right. And so right. that's what kind of takes you out of, you know, feeling like I'm never going to help anybody else or there's nothing else out there that can help me because of this bad experience. You, you have to go back and remind yourself and have people around you that can remind you that you are able to, to do, you are capable, you are smart, you're talented, you can do, you can do these things. And, and that was the, the network of people and my family that, that did that. Like, do not let other people define for you who you are. Mm. Pass the offering. That is a word. Passed off. It's a whole word. Wrap yeah. it on up. And I just wanna I wanna emphasize that what I heard you also say is if you know your friend, the one that you're about to talk to, is about to give you some pop-off advice, if they're gonna give you advice that's really gonna get you fired um permanently, you prob that's not the person that you wanna listen to. <laughs> no, that is very true. Let's be honest. We go and we'll talk to that person that we know is going to give us the answer that we want to hear to make us feel good. But that person exactly. may not, they may not give you sound advice. And now no. you, you out here trying to figure out what's your next move because you've made a mistake. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. So I, I completely agree. You, you have to be able to like what I say is chew up the meat and spit out the bones. And, and you might, I mean, they might, I, you know, I got some friends that are like, okay, where, where are they? Let's go. Right. Right now. <laughs> you gotta kind of like calm down. That was good that you, you know, we got it all out of our system. It's kind of like why you don't send an email when you're mad. Yeah. Right? Oh. Get it out of your system and then let's come back with a plan. And you got to have people like that. That are like, okay, yeah, that was wrong. That was shady. Nah, they shouldn't have done that to you. 
okay, but what are we going to do? What, what's the plan? How are you going to handle this? But because you need insurance. You need mortgage money. Yes. <laughs> You need, money. You need money. Yes, there it is. You need to, and you like to travel. So yeah, what you gonna do? But but at what point? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But at what point does that not work? Because like at sometimes I just want people to know how I really feel. I want. I don't want to keep saying per my email. I want you to understand <laughs> what I meant. <laughs> Because, like, if you don't understand what I meant, then every other email will be per my email. <laughs> and then you have to look at that person across the room in a, in a meeting or wherever you are. And this, yeah, I, he's still working on me. So, you know what? Uh, and I will say this. My mother told me this. this is not, I didn't go to school to learn this. And it's true. She says, it's not what you say. It is how you say it. Yeah. And you, I had a, a supervisor who could tell you off in the most nice, nastiest way. And you would think, oh, she's such a nice person. That was a great conversation. And then in the back of your mind, like, <laughs> did she just tell me off? <laughs> like, what did happen? She was the most diplomatic person I have ever met. And honestly, I thank her for that because I use a lot of that a lot of times. And sometimes I have to go home and say, I, you know, I probably shouldn't have said that. But there are times when you do have to say it, but it's basically how you say it to people. I mean, there, as a chief diversity officer, uh, I, get, I get that feeling every day. There are things that happen, and I'm thinking, are you, you got to be kidding me, right? right. You got to be kidding me. But I have to kind of take a deep breath, step back, and say, okay, how can I say this so that they can hear me? Because you really, at the end of the day, you want things to change. You don't want them to just know that you're mad. You want things to change. So take a step back and figure out what it is you have to do. I had to do that recently. Something happened in a, in one of our leadership meetings, and I was like, "No, nah, this this is not no. I don't know. We're not doing this." And I took two days and I wrote an email and I laid out my points of you know without emotion. It was all laid out there. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. And they heard me. And so at the end of the day. The, the end result was I needed to see change and I needed them to, to change, use a different lens and make a different decision. So thinking about essentially putting out all of those fires and I guess also trying to manage your emotions and kind of maybe check some things that we want to say versus what we should, what we end up saying. How are you managing, how do you manage self-care kind of within that? And what does that look like? Is it a one-time one thing? Is it an ongoing thing? And what, um, what things do you set up to ensure that your self-care practices are maintained? So I, well, and that's hard. I'm not, I'm not telling you I, have, I get it right all the time. Um, sometimes I just cry. 
Like I can't take it anymore. I'm crying. Yeah. Um, and I get it out. And, and sometimes I've cried in front of my staff, you know, and they, they, I'm like, I, you know, I'm sorry, I, but this is just that bad. And it shows some vulnerability, some vulnerability. And, you know, I don't do it all the time, but that happens. Um, and sometimes I go home and I tell my husband and, or my mother or my girlfriends what just happened. And I normally start off with, am I crazy? Like, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Uh, and then I get it out. Um, adult beverages, um, sometimes help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I also have a really great network of, um, sister moms that we intentionally plan a spa day block the calendar uh and 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 we're going to a, uh, to a spa all day no children no husband no work nothing you, you no none of it mm. and uh and and i we've done that i mean there's several you know there's always retail therapy if you you know if you can afford to do that cuz i'm not suggesting that anybody do that if you can't afford it but sometimes you know it's it's a lot of different things sometimes it's just sitting in a room with in silence just be just sit and be today Mm -hmm. i got off work half i took off half day i went and ran some errands and then i was sitting in the car like okay where's the next errand and then all of a sudden i felt so sleepy i'm like you know what I'm going to sleep. (laughs) And I went home and I slept for an hour and a half. Nobody called my name. Nobody asked me anything. My phone didn't ring. Nothing. And I felt better. So there's a lot of different things. But the main thing is, and I named a lot of things, but you have to figure out like when you need it and that you actually have to do it. And you have to make those uh create create those boundaries and, and you know i think that's a hard thing for black women i, I just think it that is. we are you know there's so much always called and put put upon us in terms of and and, and everything every area of life and yes that, you know that superwoman um stereotype holds so true and so fast that i think it it's, it seems like it's very hard to find a way to do that, especially, you know, if, like, if you are into the work that you are doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm reminded, I'm a, we had a guest who, who literally said, you know, I show my students how um, I take care of myself by making decisions that benefit. Essentially, that's what was said. And I was like, that is a very true statement. So why, why do you think that self-care is a hard thing for black women to grasp? Ooh, okay, so we need to start with slavery and work our way up. <laughs> all right, all right, From all right. Beginning. Yes. <laughs> I think we have always um, seen ourselves through a community and a collective. And, uh, you know, we've 
been exploited through it all, but persisted. And sometimes that persistence has been at a lot of costs and a lot of expense. Um, and a lot of it was based on survival. And I think that we carry that into our families, into our, uh, our friendships, into our workplace. Um, that is why when we, you know, we have to, we, you know, you, we hear this all the time that we have to be better. We got to be 10 times. We have to do this. We have to do this better. Um, yes, we do. But at some point, we, we do have to take the cape off and take the S off the chest and, and go sit down somewhere. Right. But it has always been ingrained within us that we have to do because our community needs it. Our children need it. Our parents need it. Um, and so because we believe so much in the racial uplift and education as a tool for liberation and, and being uh, in the background and in the, in the forefront of movements to really make change, which we know have to be done. I mean, there are structural racism and sexism and homophobia that is killing us. And so because we are so committed to that, we sometimes say that the greater is bigger than the individual and and that is true collectively as as a people we believe that but it's at the cost of our own health yeah. and so we have to balance that we have to balance that i'll just tell you a quick story um i was a new professional and um the institution i was working for allowed me to go to the Bremar institute for women in higher education um, I, I became a, a, a director of a cultural center when I was 24, and uh, it was an awesome experience. I, to this day, have uh, mentees and, and students that have done so much. I'm so proud of them. Um, but I started when I was 24, and I gave everything. Was married, didn't have kids. My job was my life. And... I went to this, the Bremar Institute for Women in Higher Education for a month, and they, 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 if you, and I would recommend this to anybody that can do it, any woman that can do it, any, uh, because they teach you from admissions to fiscal plant to finance to um, fundraising what it really means, and a lot of women that leave that go on to um, a lot of uh, senior level positions, so. That's that I, that I recommend, but I was there and this uh, older black woman, I was just telling her how, how, how burnt out I was. And she said, you know, I know you don't have any kids, but children will go to the store with you and they will see something that they like and they will say, mommy, I really want this. And you'll say, I don't have the money for it. And they'll say, but you have a credit card. You can use a credit card. and They'll, you know, you'll say, but no, I still can't afford it because they don't have any concept that when the bill comes in, somebody's got to pay for it. All they see is this credit card. Well, that's what people do to you, right? They see all of this that you can give and you can do for them. But at the end, at the end of the month, somebody has to pay that bill. So yeah. you have to monitor what you give so that at the end of the month, you can only pay what you can afford because if you continually say yes yes we can have that yes you can have that toy yes we can eat out yes we can do all these things because he's saying he or she is saying 
you have a credit card at the end of the month you now stuck with a thousand dollar credit card bill and can't pay your mortgage or your rent that's a choice you made because you allowed yourself to continually say yes to things that you know you couldn't afford mentally physically spiritually psychologically to do i felt <laughs> every yes word like you know when yeah. you talk about money you know it gets a little different <laughs> but that and i'm i'm really 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 big on analogies um to to explain things to people and that was probably one of the best explanations of self-care um especially as being a black woman and how we just give give yeah that bill at the end of the month freely freely we give it freely free just, just it, it's free to them but, but it's not free to us it's at right. a cost right right that really spiritually physically all of that and yep. i don't think we, at a cost. Know, we don't count the cost we never nope. really do we count it when we go to the doctor and they give us the prescription bottle for the high blood pressure that's when we count it yes and we, so we, that's we, the other thing i'm going to say is exercise yeah you gotta figure out a way to i play racquetball and i just think about all the crazy people that i dealt with that day and they just get that ball just <laughs> it, it hits the wall a lot <laughs> okay so and and that and i say that because i was on high blood pressure pills and it was exercise and eating right and taking care of myself in the last two years that um, now I'm not on high blood pressure medicine. Awesome. Do I do it like I should or am I, you know, a skinny mini? No. But it, the exercise, I really believe, has helped me manage my stress. Now... <clears throat> My undergrad degree is in kinesiology. I studied exercise science for about three years and got a whole degree in it. And every now and then, <laughs> I'll get on this kick, and then I then I lose focus because I got so much going on that I yeah. I don't have time to exercise. But in reality, I do. It's just I don't feel like it. I'm exhausted. Yep. yep. Yeah, if I don't exercise at the top of the key, like that's at the beginning of the day, unless I have the day off. When I have the day off, my exercise routine becomes completely different. I'm stretching outside. Oh, I'm you do a big thing. Okay? <laughs> it's epic. But on a normal basis, I find if I don't exercise and get some physical activity in at the beginning of the day, then by the end of the day, I don't want to do it no more because all the time I'm angry. I don't know what it yes. is. I, or I'm just no, tired. I'm angry. exhausted. Not necessarily angry. I'm more exhausted. And so I find like 5 a.m. is my sweet spot. I need to be at the gym at 5 a.m. Um, and that rhymes. Uh, don't at me. Um, so <laughs> I don't do it at that time. I, it's very hard for me unless I'm going to Zumba class. I can Zumba at midnight. And so I, I think... Part of it is finding what works. And I think that that's hard yes. for people to find what works for them. And sometimes you just have to invest in yourself and go ahead and get you a trainer. Somebody that's going to hold you yes. at a cost. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And let me tell you, I made that decision. I was paying 
um, for uh, like massages every every month and wasn't finding any time to go. And then I priced the trainer because, you know, you hear trainer, you're thinking that's a lot of money. But then I thought, well, how much is the trainer? And the trainer was cheaper than the massages. And I'm like, well, I'm not even using the massages, so I might as well just get the trainer because I do need somebody to hold me accountable. I think the other thing is is that you also don't want, I mean, I think what, and I know this happens to me, and I think I heard this, heard you say this too, is like you get on this kick. Well, the kick then says, I'm going to exercise four times a week and, uh, you know, drink water, nothing, I'm not eating anything, I'm not doing anything. And so you have these like unrealistic expectations of that. There are weeks that sometimes if I just walk for 15 minutes, I feel like that's an accomplishment because it meant that I took 15 minutes for me. Right. That's true. So I think you got to find, you know, yes. And a, a sweet spot. Yes. Mine is at night and, and I, and, and it's helpful. It is it really helpful for me, but it's, I can't get caught up in, um, well, I didn't do it four times this week. So I, you know, I, I feel depressed because I didn't meet my goal. No, I got to at least try, let's try one day. Just take 30 minutes and walk around the block, you know, and you know, it's, it really is that simple. We just got to get up and do it. We get up and do everything else. Yes. But when it's time for us, it's kind of like, no, not today. Right. <laughs> so, Dr. Walden, we have a Spotify playlist, music playlist. And we mm-hmm. also put together a list of books that we um, receive from our guests and share with our listeners. So what are some songs that kind of get you in the groove, kind of get you going, especially when you're exercising, kind of take you away from all the stress that you have to go through? Um, So yeah, what are some of those songs? And then what are some books that you would recommend? Okay. I love music. Uh, So what gets me in a zone is um, anything. I love gospel music uh so anything by fred hammond yolanda adams um marvin sapp hezekiah mm-hmm. walker um i'm gonna tell you my all-time favorite i don't care what he sings is jonathan butler i can listen to him yes i love it four hours a day seven days a week his stuff before he did gospel, the stuff during gospel, I, everything. I can. I love Jonathan Butler, um, Kurt Whalem. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, I, I love 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 gospel music. That's and, like gospel um, jazz, right? You said Kurt Whalem. That's gospel jazz. Yes, Kurt yeah. Whalem. I also like um, Jonathan Nelson, um, Donnie McKirkland, any of those. I I love I could do Yolanda Adams all day too. Mm. Any particular um, songs of these folks or just kind of their whole catalog? Yeah, yeah, everything. <laughs> well, especially especially Yolanda Adams and um and Jonathan Butler. Uh I love I I can listen to anything by them. And that's generally when I am 
Um, and, and okay, so then the other thing is, I, I like, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, I had a, a playlist when I was writing my dissertation that kind of puts me in the zone of writing, and that's like um, uh, Anthony Hamilton, and I know that's like way different than what I just said, but Anthony Hamilton, Earth, Wind, and Fire, um, oh, Music Soul Child, uh, I'm trying to think anything else, but the, generally, and Jonathan Butler was on that playlist too. That sounds good to me. Mm-hmm. Now, books. Let's see. So, I loved Becoming by um, Michelle Obama. I thought that was great. Oh, I'm going to tell you a book that I absolutely love was uh, The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. That yes. was a good book. Yes. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Um, I just well not just i read um a book by leslie odom uh called failing up loved it hmm. it's a quick read he's the guy from hamilton and it's about how uh even in your failures you are still succeeding and how uh he just it talks about his life and the people that he's met and a lot of the things that we just talked to network and people that put him in touch with other people and things that he thought um he didn't think he should be doing when he realized that when he did it the doors that opened to him so that that was a really good book failing up and i'm sure i have others but those are the ones that are probably the most recent for me. You know what? I'm sorry. I'll take it back. I also loved um, when, uh, when They Call You a Terrorist by Patrice Cullors and Asha Bendeli. And, um, okay, I'll stop there. Because <laughs> I could go on. Okay, so... Um Next, uh, the next question, kind of just wrapping things up. So when you think about this podcast, Black Women Voices, what does that mean to you? What does this podcast mean to you? You know, I, I really see it as like restorative. Um, a place where we can go to um, kind of fuel give us some energy and, and some fuel to move on and to 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 do more or to to or to do less <laughs> uh but to really kind of put our lives and our goals and our our um professions in perspective and and it's a place where you can kind of think okay about what's next for you awesome and we also like to have our guests recognize a Black woman um, that has been influential in their life. So who would be the Black woman that you would want to celebrate and why? Oh, boy. Um, only one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just one. Maybe two. <laughs> okay. All right, well, I got two. All right, so um, one of them is uh, one of the women that come to mind for me in, in higher ed. 
uh, is Teresa Drummond, uh, who I met when I was a, um, a senior in college. And I met her at a professional uh, conference that my undergrad school paid for me to go to. And it was, a, it was called People of Color Network. And um, I met her and, and she was the one who hired me at, when I finished college in the, the cultural center at the University of Delaware. She was a tremendous mentor to me. Um, and I ended up you know, following in her shoes in terms of doing the work in that cultural center. And uh, she unfortunately passed away in the, like 1992. But I, I continue to have a picture of her in, in my office and just reminded of how important it is to be authentic and committed to students and, uh, and just being real about being honest and uh, being a, a true advocate for, for students of color, black students in particular, because that was, that's what she epitomized and that's what I always strive to do. So that's the first one. The second one is uh, someone that I've met, but is famous, and I absolutely love her, is Shirley Chisholm. Uh, and I'll tell you why, because Shirley Chisholm was, um, our lives were so parallel in so many ways. Her family's from Barbados, my family's from Barbados. She grew up in, in New York and went to the same similar church that I grew up in, in Brooklyn. Um, worked in higher education and wrote a book. Okay, so I love this book too. Um, is unbought and un unbossed and unbought. And um, she was just relentless in terms of her uh, her her persistence for justice. And so I always love Shirley Chisholm because she she's just someone that I love and I and I see a lot of myself in her. And I had a chance to meet her because I brought her to the University of Delaware um, when I was working, uh, working there in the 90s. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, we, we talked about networking, self-care, mentorship, and for me, mentorship is, is really important. And I've been told many times, you know, you can't mentor them all. You can't save them all, so stop trying. And then I say, okay, I'm not. And then somebody comes into my office and then here I am a mentor again. So mm -hmm. it was really, so once again, your analogy in terms of self-care, um, when you talk about money, the, the kind of credit card uh, analogy was, was dead on. And then also understanding boundaries um, because it's kind of like, you know, what they say all the time when you get on the plane, you know, you got to, protect yourself or get yourself right before you can help someone else yes it's so hard yes. it's so hard it is it is but just remember though that you you don't have to be the mentor you can be a coach yes you don't have to be the mentor yeah i think i'm All a really cool set <laughs> especially since you know <laughs> uh, i'm a certified life coach i guess i Yes, I guess you should. Yes. <laughs> yes. I guess I should operate in that. You know what? In my next life, that's what I want to be. I want to be a, a certified life coach. I yeah. really do. 
Yeah, you ain't got to wait. Go ahead. I, I, I will connect you with uh, the organization that I did uh, my certification through. It was only for, uh, it was a weekend. So um, it was more flexible for me. Um, and just the, the concept of life coaching, especially for me, because I came from a counseling background. That's what my master's is in. And so mm-hmm. no, understanding the difference between counseling and coaching um, I think if we in higher ed got to the point where we could infuse the two together, yeah, we would help a lot, a lot of more, a lot more students, faculty, and staff. Yes, I agree. I agree. Yes. So don't well, wait on it. Is, well, thank you. See, I'm ne- I never, I never get to the point where I can't learn. I didn't. Right. I thank you. Right. Yeah. You're yeah. helping me. You all have helped me. <laughs> And then listen, when people, when people come to you and say, I don't need you to mentor me, just, just send them to this episode of the podcast and then they can do right. to this and get mentored and they write. <laughs> <laughs> See, this could be like your, um, they call it promo. That's it. Just go ahead and say, we're going to put it on a card for you and just say, just go ahead. Let exactly. And then ask me any questions you don't have. You know what? That's exactly what one of my doctors did uh i was telling her i I need to lose weight i don't know what to do she was like girl i got some other patients but while while i'm going to see this other patient i want you to watch this and it was it was um it it was like one of those stories about forks uh what's it uh what's the move the forks over knives yes and and then she came back and said uh you have any questions (laughs) because that's what you need to do Session over. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have truly, truly enjoyed this conversation. And as I stated before, I knew that you were going to pour something into us and you did not fail us. You did not fail us. Oh, well, thank you. And you all did the same for me. I appreciate it. And I hope that we can have another conversation um, soon or, you know, whenever you all are ready. I love this idea. I love the, this this podcast and um i would love to talk about black women in social movements and racial uplift and what happens to black women in higher ed when we use that as our you know uh way forward it it definitely requires a whole lot of self-care right so i would love to talk more about that awesome you got it and here And my co-host and I would like to thank you for listening to episode six of Black Women's Voices. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about networking and self-care with Dr. Vernice Edgehill-Walden. Now, we want to hear from you. Let us know what you took away from this discussion. You can connect with us on Twitter and Facebook at Black Women Voices. This is definitely one of those podcasts that you're going to want to share with your colleagues and your circle of sister friends. If this is your first time listening, please check out our first five episodes available now on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Podcasts. Also, please don't forget to rate, review, and share the podcast. We want this platform to reach as many as possible, and we thank you in advance for helping us in this endeavor. Thanks for listening, and we will chat with you soon.